Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.
you've ever wondered how we started our podcast and how we record our podcast, the answer is so, so simple. Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcast. You can make money from your podcast no matter if you have one listener or a thousand listeners. Downloads, everything. I mean, it's so simple. If you're creating something, get paid for it. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. Welcome to the Heels and Quads Wrestling Podcast. On this Wednesday evening, we have a very special guest tonight that me and Tommy are both excited for. So, PCO, he's hot. Right now in the Indies, he's had a hell of a career, and he's back at it better than ever, and we're about to talk to him. And before we get to that real quick, I just wanted to touch on yesterday, we talked about All In, of course, um, but it was announced right as I was, after we recorded the show, that Jay Lethal will be defending the Ring of Honor world title against the winner of the Over the Budget Battle Royal, which I think is super cool. But other than that, this is a great interview. PCO tells us everything. I mean, literally, we do nothing. He he does. We ask a couple of questions, and he takes the ball and runs. And I mean, it's a touchdown. Like <laughs> it's it's insane. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was a fantastic interview. Uh, well, him him telling us a hell of a story, basically. So I hope everybody enjoys it. And- Get to sit back and listen to some sweet stories like we did. So we'll hit the plugs, and then we'll be on the other side with a little PCO. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I know you're having a great time listening, but we'll be back in just a sec. I'm just here to tell you that you need to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash heels and quads. Why, you ask? Because it's our merch site. We have tons of sweet merch on there in all different shapes and sizes. And you need to purchase some because your closet is lacking that Heels and Quads Wrestling Podcast t-shirt that you know you've always wanted. So go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Heels and Quads and pick up any of our shirt designs. Make sure for all of your Funko Pop collection needs, you get a Heroes Hideout NY.com. From WWE to the Bullet Club, you can use code QUADS at checkout and save 10% off your order. Also, don't forget, they specialize in meet and greets. From the legends of yesterday, the stars of today, and the future of pro wrestling. Coming up, Raven, August 11th. The Bullet Club, August 26th. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Jeff Jarrett and Demolition on September 15th. Psycho Sid and Terry Runnels on November 11th. They will also be featured vendors at StarCast, featuring Young Bucks Pops for those Matt and Nick signatures you are dying to get. Also, make sure to stop in store in Rensselaer, New York at 250 Broadway for not just meet and greets, but all of your action figure needs, featuring lines from the past and present. Heroes Hideout is your new access to entertainment. That's Heroes Hideout, NY.com. 
I need you to do one big favor for me and for yourself, and that's go to collarandelbowbrand.com and use coupon code Heels and Quads in all caps at checkout to save 10% on your order. Oh my, that's a lot of percentage, huh? Speaking of a lot of percentage, you can go to Zubas.com, that's right, Z-U-B-A-C, get your zebra pants, baby, and use coupon code Heels and Quads in all caps at checkout to save 15% on your order. That's even more percentage. Oh. All right, guys, and we're here live with PCO. The former WWE, three-time WWE Tag Team Champion, former WCW Hardcore Champion, and now he's just not human. PCO, how you doing tonight, man? I'm great. Uh, is that Tommy now? Yeah. That's, this is Tommy, yes, sir. Yeah, man. I am. I'm great. Exciting uh, to be talking to all your listeners and with you and your co-host, Levi. You know, I'm so uh, so pumped to be on your show. Hey, man, it's an honor to have you. Yeah, it really is, man. You're, uh, it's, I, we were both looking forward to this interview a lot, man, because we, you know, we've seen you through the years, and now with this, this hot return you got, we gotta, we got to bring that up and shed some light on it. So we appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Oh, we're going to have some fun, for sure. There's always got some good juicy stories to tell Juicy stories. No. <laughs> we, we like juicy stories. We do like that. <laughs> 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 All right, Levi, if you want to go ahead and start, man. All right, so uh, obviously we we always kind of start the show with our the basic question is like, so when did you get into wrestling and how? Um. Ours because uh I used to get up very early to go uh practicing, you know, for my practice of uh ice hockey uh in Canada and Montreal and um Were you about ice hockey five thirty yeah, yeah. You, you know, we're born with skates on our foot, you know, feeds <laughs> uh, uh, and and you know, like at two years old, you know, you Parents, they, they buy you skate and they put you on the river and just, you know, like a winter time and just skate, and then you got a hockey stick, hockey stick right after that, and just you just start playing at four or five year old, you know, you go into some hockey school and it, it's it's the national sport, so uh, but it's getting really popular too in the states now. Like I, I, every time I travel, I, I hear a lot about this sport more than ever, and. Um, so you just get up early, you know, go to the practice at 6 a.m. on different arenas and just watching TV. There was always a documentary or some uh, replay of uh, wrestling federations that were on uh, when I was home. And um, I just got, like, uh, I always watched, like, it seems like the documentary of Edward Carpenter was on every time, every morning that I got up to play hockey. And that really got me hooked with wrestling. And then, then later on, I was watching some wrestling shows. And then during my high school, like, I was always like getting them while the teacher was talking, was always reading the newspaper and always got stuff, you know, where the, the wrestling ads was the page for the wrestling ads. Where, and was really excited about 
the whole listening thing, and then I went to some of the live shows, and that's it. That was hooked. You know, that's I knew what I want, what I wanted to be, and what I wanted to do later. I mean, it was hockey was there always, but wrestling was as important as hockey for me, or it was as uh, as as much as a, a goal as hockey uh, might have been. And when the actually the eye accident happened, when I lost my right eye, then it became obvious that wrestling was going to be, you know, my destiny. Because I was 12 years old, so I was still at a very young age. And back then, the law, I mean, the law, the rules, was that if she didn't have 70% on either eye, like the vision, if it wasn't like 70% or more, uh, if you had less than 70%, you couldn't play in the NHL. Which today, you can't, now today you can't play with one eye. Call Silverberg play for the Colorado Avalanche or the Boston Bruins with one eye, which she was the first player ever to play with one eye. But, uh, before that, it was impossible. It was against the rules. So, I don't know what kind of disclaim or whatever he did to, 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 to get the chance. And he had to be really good. But anyways, for me, there was no, 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 no talks about it. No, it was wrestling all the way. That was going to be the goal. So who were you seeing at those shows, the live shows that you went to? Who were, who was wrestling around that time? Uh, Dino Bravo was huge. Rick Martel, the Road Warriors, uh, Haku, uh, Rick Flair was coming, uh, Nick Bakunko, uh, uh, Acts of Demolition, uh, under his real name or under Mr. X, whatever it was, uh, working with the hood. Um, but, um, no, do you know Ricky, the Road Warriors, and Aku? Uh, they were like some guys that had like a real, real big impact on on what I I really uh, liked. And also, not too long after that, he took all those guys, you know. So he took Bravo, he took Martel, he took Aku, he took the Rougeaux, and and he was doing that to every territory back then. Probably did the same thing in Portland and Texas and and Tennessee and, and all over the states too and and in Calgary with the the heart, the bread and night art and and so I, once he was taking all the top guys the the original original territory or territorial place were pretty much crumbling down after that. So they they couldn't afford to survive once all the top guys were leaving at once altogether. So uh, then not too long after that, it was WrestleMania 1, I guess. And then it was just, uh, I was a fan, you know. So it was just, uh, I was a big fan. And my goal was just to, to be the next Hulk Hogan as a kid. So, um, when you first started to get into wrestling as a as a wrestler, you spent some time in Calgary, correct? Yeah, uh, Calgary was the first place I tried to get booked full time. I mean, 
I was calling Sue Hart a few times and he was always saying no or didn't have time or didn't have room or didn't have any place for me or whatever he said. It was always a no and I said just decided to buy a ticket and just meet them there and just fly myself there. And that's how how it started for me, you know. That's how, that's, that's how the whole thing started. I went there and I was trying to get booked every week, every Friday night at the Calgary Stampede, and they would always say that they don't have a place for me. And and then they would send me to Edmonton, which was five five-hour bus drive. Then I'd go there on the Saturday, hoping that someone was going to do a no-show, and they would use me. But it was a bunch of other guys hoping for a spot to there, and they had their wrestling school. They were not going to use a young kid. That's not from their own wrestling school or didn't pay their own wrestling school and it just put me on instead of one of their guys. But, you know, I was so young, you know, I was like only like 18. So I was just hoping for the best and, you know, after three to four months there, just starving, you know, living with the Salvation Army with four or five other poor kids and collecting money on a Sunday morning for the Salvation Army to make sure that I would have my room and my place for cheap and uh, just eating craft dinner basically every day and uh, just, just you know, trying to get some place to get with the boys to work on the different rings and get mixed up with some of the guys. And then some of the guys that weren't booked for Calgary were, were telling me that, you know, I should go to Vancouver and work for all Tom Cole, but then... I was thinking to myself, what if I move from Calgary to Vancouver and I don't get booked, you know? So after like four four months, I came back home and I was pretty pretty down about it. But I kept on sending resume and newspaper clips and things like that, and then uh, I hopefully booked myself. And eventually, I got booked in the Maritimes for. Uh, and Neil Dupre, the dad of Rene Dupre, who uh, owned the territory and uh, really like by the coast, you know, on the east coast, totally uh, near the Atlantic, which is called the Maritimes in Canada, and ended up there uh, a year and a half after Calgary, working full time seven days a week. And when and when you went back home, uh, you started school, right? You started college, and uh, played on the yeah. hockey team there. Yeah, that was after the Maritimes. I, I came back home, uh, kept on working different indies, Montreal here and there, uh, working in small shows and trying to uh, improve as a wrestler. And then eventually it got a break for not too long after that. I think maybe it's been a year after Calgary. Not too long after Calgary, it was the Maritimes. And then from not being good enough to... Uh, to be booked full time in Calgary, ended up getting booked on main events in the Maritimes. So I ended up like working for the the tag belts every night against the booker Bob Brown and Masahiro Chono, who was young back then too, but had more like had been in the dojo and things like that more experienced than me and he was a bumper like a guy who was doing all the dirty works for Bulldog who was cold and didn't move well and couldn't bump that much and 
uh, was the booker, so put the tight belts on them, and we were, like, challenging them for their belts every night. And I threw up so many matches, so many spots, so many things. I was, I mean, I was just the guy good for maybe preliminary matches to get some experience. And I ended up being, like, on a ridiculous, you know, super hot spot, which I wasn't ready for that. So it was from one extreme to the other, <laughs> not getting booked to being on top and not being ready to be on top. So what what it did is, like, I got fired pretty quick, got kicked out pretty quick, you know, after a month, maybe four to six weeks, you know, I got kicked out of the team. But... I learned so much because by making all those mistakes and by working with all those, those talented guys on top, uh, afterwards I realized how much I learned, you know, by making so many mistakes. And uh, it, it, it served me later on. Like after that, I got booked uh, full time in England for Brian Dixon All Star Wrestling. And then I was booked on top, and all that experience that I gained in the Maritimes and in Calgary really served me well. And working on top with guys like David Finley, um, uh, David Taylor, uh, Stephen Regal, uh, Sid Finley, guys like that really, you know, uh, made me perform. In England, so we, uh, I say we because I went there with a tag team partner. Uh, we were called Double Trouble, and we were really good. And we had like a good look, a good team, and everything worked well. And we could have made it to the WWE uh, pretty easily. You know, it was just a matter of time. But just, uh, just didn't work out this way, but. It was a hell of a team, seriously. We we didn't really we started in England. I mean, the house weren't really that good and by the time after two, three months that we were there like pretty much everywhere. I, I don't think it was just a matter of being us being good, working with Robbie Brookside and Doug Dean in a feud in the tag team division, but and working with all the other names that I, I gave you before, but it was just uh and we did really, we really did good. So, anyways, business picked up, and it was sold out everywhere. By the time you know we were finished there, it was really good. Yeah, it was. And when I say we were finished, is like we were moving to Germany after that, and South Africa, and we were getting booked like pretty much uh, on top on different other promotions, uh, strong promotions like. No, like they would draw like seven thousand, ten thousand, four thousand, three thousand, twenty five hundred. That was pretty good back then too. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. Like South Africa was real good. Like it was always like over six, seven thousand people at the, the good old center, and uh, and uh, Cape Town, South Africa, and we did like different other towns, Joburg, and other towns around. And it was good. Uh, it was a good run. We we went there three times, and so anyways, that that was good. It was, it was a good tag team. Just until like I don't care. We were winning. We were we 
working for René Lastef. That's, that's a territory that was by itself in Hamburg, Germany. Uh, that's a place where Chris Jericho went. And uh, after I left uh, there for a bigger territory, that was Otto Van CWA Catch Wrestling Association, where a lot of bigger names went there, like the Vader, the Rogue Warriors, uh, much bigger names. And uh, I ended up there because uh, there was like some scouts from CWA that came to Hamburg and they met with me and they asked me if I wanted to go on my own and then I had to, to make a decision and had a long conversation overnight with my tag team partner to see like, if, if he really believed in us as a tag team. Uh, if he really wanted to make a living out of wrestling or if he wanted to have like something more like uh stable in his life where he didn't I, because you know when you're living off wrestling you know after a run you know or a booking you don't know what's going to be the next booking sometimes and at one point you're just living out of fate you know basically and things are Filing up okay when you do well, but it's not everybody that can live a, a life like that on insert like things not being certain or not being sure how much money you'll be making the next month or the next week or whatever. And uh, I was doing fine with it, but my tag team partner was, you know, he, I guess. He thought it was maybe a little too short, which is I don't think that was an excuse because you know, a lot of guys is I you know really made it and he was not he was probably five eight five nine, it was still all right to me. We had the look we looked like almost like twins, you know. So it was, it was such a good tag team. I really believe in that. But Otto was all about big guys, and for Otto it was. He didn't want my tag team partner, but if my tag team partner would have said, you know, you can make it somewhere else and we're going to do it and things like that, if he would have pushed. But the way he was talking to me was like, you know, uh, I'm missing a few inches and things like that. So I, I, I always tell him that he took himself out of the picture, you know, by, by what he was thinking at the time. And he... And he he kind of convinced himself he wasn't going to make it. Yeah, almost just talking, you know, like uh, to himself the way he did, you know, like saying, oh, I'm, you know, missing six inches and, you know, 30 pounds and just finding excuses, you know, just why that happening that quick, you know. But it was right around the corner because after I did trying with auto bands for six, six months, then uh, they were running there. It was good. It was a good payoff. It was like for six months a year, and it would start around uh, June or July until Christmas. And then when I finished that tour, uh, December 30th, and they asked me to resign for the next year, send me the contract for the next season. But by January, I got a phone call from Carlos Calon to go to Puerto Rico. And after Puerto Rico, that was, uh, I was getting signed by the PWE. So, because I, in Puerto Rico, I met Jock. And that's why I said, you know, it was just around the corner for my tag team partner. And if he would have, you know, believed in ourselves and himself, especially himself, um, 
things would have happened because by the time by the time I met Jacques, I already had like uh, Jerry Jarrett sign me, uh, sent me a letter that he wanted me to join uh, USWA in Tennessee. WCW already sent me a letter that they wanted to give me a tryout, and uh, and uh, a lot of uh, other promotions wanted to to have me on their territory, and uh, so I had tryouts at WWF at the time, and uh, and then after my tryouts. I went to Japan for a tour, came back from Japan, waited a couple of weeks, and then uh, we, we were starting on TV. So did you and, did you and uh, Jacques, did you guys click, like, right away when you met? Uh, kind of clicked. I mean, when Jacques, Jacques uh, didn't know what was existing. You know, he didn't know what was from the same uh place that he lived. So when when he got to the island in Puerto Rico and introduced himself to everyone and I said hi to him and he recognized me, you know, because I said hi in French. Recognized me by my accent, not by my face. <laughs> said, Where are you from? I said, I'm from Montreal. He was like, Okay, now I could tell, you know, there was some interest there to see, okay, who is this guy? So my first night you watch my match and my second match, he told me that he was going to get me signed in the CWE. So <laughs> the second night. And I think by the third or fourth days that he was there, he was on the phone with Vince. And he was the only guy that I that I could count on my fingers, like that I knew that could call the office, go through the secretary, and talk directly to Vince. And so Vince, I got something special here in front of me. You know, I got this guy. I want you to have a look at him. And then, and then after that, I got in touch with Sergeant Slaughter, Pat Patterson, the same tapes. And then they look at my tapes, and then they uh, send me my tickets. And then I went by myself. I think the shock was there. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Creamy and delicious, try strawberry and vanilla for two grams of carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein. Interested? Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks are now available in the yogurt aisle at Walmart. Always consult your physician before starting an eating plan that involves regular consumption of high-fat foods. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. I guess Zach was there. I think he was there on my tryouts. I'm not quite sure. Uh, did, you guys, did you guys bring the idea to Vince? For the Quebecers, or did he give you that idea? Was it was it a yeah. vent, you know? The name, the name Pierre, always hated that name. Uh, it's not my, it's it's not my idea. Uh, the Quebecers, I didn't mind, but you know, when I tried out, I tried out with the patch, you know, and like uh, almost like a Vader mask, mask, but with the eye patch on the right side. Mm. It was uh, the thing. I had the long hair, so I had to cut my shave my hair, and uh, 
wear that um, red, you know, trouser or red shirt and uh, yeah, and uh, I'm just up like a Mountie basically, and just saying we're not the Mounties, and uh, and we couldn't use the name the Mounties because it was a lawsuit against you know against the BWF for using that name, which is the you know, the police, police entity, and um, they took that really seriously, and they didn't want to get laughed at, so they didn't turn that against them, you know, saying we're not the Mounties, we're in some, we're brave, we're strong, instead of the Mounties, you know, enforcing the law. So, basically, yeah, uh, I mean, I went along with the program, but that's not what I... That's not what I envisioned as a kid. You know, like my, the guys that I really tripped on, I really liked was like the Road Warriors, you know. So, you know, demolitions, those type of tag teams, you know. But um, it was was presented that way. And, you know, when it's a life, lifelong dream or whatever it is, you know, you you want to end it up. You want to end up there and you you finally had the chance. So you, you just hope to do the best with what they give you and eventually turn things around the way you would like them to be. So that's that was the idea. You know, that was the first step for me. That was making a step in the good direction by by doing that and, and going with the with this, you know. I didn't feel like I didn't, I didn't have any Power whatsoever, you know. It's just a new young kid there, you know, 24 years old, uh, offering, you know, after eight years of working hard full time, you know, uh, from country to country and flying in and out and working my ass off, uh, having a lot of failures and a lot of uh, bad breaks and things like that. And eventually, you know, everything. The tide turned in my favor, and then I was just hoping, you know, I was just happy to have the break and just hoping to do the best with it and make the best out of it and eventually turn that into something that would really like to do. So was, was your run, your original run in uh, WWF, with the Quebecers, obviously you had success with being a three-time uh, tag team champion, but did you... Did you enjoy the Bret Hart feud more after when you went uh, to a singles competitor, or were you more of, of a? Course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I cannot say like you know when we won when the first time we won the belts on Raw. Um, after we won them, it wasn't the way we had hope or the way we we thought that we would have won the belts, you know, by the Quebec rules, you know, or something like that. But we were on a real big high, though. You know, we didn't sleep all night. We were, like, super high in adrenaline and uh, was floating so badly. I mean, we couldn't sleep. I, we, we just talked over over about the match, remember the spot, and that went well, and this was good, and that was good. And it was just, like, it was such a good feeling, I remember. It was great. It was an accomplishment in itself. You know, it was something. It was a set for me. That was not the end goal. For me, it was always, you know, the big, being the big, uh, the big pop-up for a territory, you know, like, I always, like, enjoyed 
not not Ogun for his work, but he was like a drawing machine, you know, like selling merch and selling tickets and filling up arenas. And to me, Ogun was was the man. Uh, Steve Austin, The Rock, uh, NWO, you know, the Hogan popped it twice, basically. It's pretty incredible. But, um, yeah, it was all about, it was always about having a run like that. That was my, that's what I wanted to accomplish in this business, you know, it's to have like something going like this. But, you know, like having that feud with Brett, it was, I was, you know, from being a tag team champion three times and then having that feud with Brett, which was like the top guy, right? At that time, you know, one of the top guys, if not one of the best, you know, that there was in that time, that era. Um, that was, that was very encouraging, you know, that was really, I thought I was on the way to, accomplish something, you know, maybe get the IC belt eventually and eventually work my way up to the top belt, you know, and like Brett did, and like Sean did, you know. That was like something that I thought, you know, that I could achieve. Uh, And I think that view with Brett was like something that I will always, it was so great, you know, Brett was so good to me. Yeah, that the match at uh, In Your House Three was actually called a show saver because it was uh, such a good match. So yeah, was really happy at that. But the next night on Raw, the match was even maybe better because because of the everybody who was watching the match on the Sunday night on the pay per view, but everybody who was watching Raw and everybody that was live at Raw on the next day. I watched the match the night before, so the, being the first match opening up Raw with this was like the crowd was on fire. So that's I, I really thought the next night the, the match was even better or as good, you know. But the the atmosphere was like insane, so I, it felt really good the next night. So I, I really impressed with that. I did the, the whole Europe tour with him, I did and toured all the states with him and the, the gardens and you know, many places. So it was uh it was it was huge, you know, something I really enjoyed. So obviously during this time the the click, you know, Sean, uh Nash, Hall, Pac and uh Triple H were kind of the they had some pull behind the scenes. So do you think that that kind of made it difficult for you to to establish yourself as a top dog because of those guys, or not necessarily all on them, but do you think they had something to do with that, why you didn't become IC champ or why you didn't become world champ when you were kind of on fire at this time? Uh, what happened is, like, it was like just before I started my run, uh, being undefeated for eight months and having that, that that feud with Brett just before that, when I was during my time off between the Quebecers and starting my Lafitte deal, um, it was a show at the Montreal Forum, and then Vince called me out of the blue one night and said, you know, I know you're off, but I got a big favor to ask you. Um, IRS just got injured, and uh, 
I would need you like to work my film of my event, you know, at the um, at the forum against Shawn Michaels. So I said, yeah, no problem, I'll do that, Vince. So, and I was really, really pleased because Vince took the time to call himself and ask me himself. It was not an agent. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. It was, yeah, it was a big, you know, made. You know, I was, I was like, really liked that. The fact that he called me and asked me, and I was really happy about that. And then um, I got to, to the forum. Uh, I, I just did the uh, working on top against Shock for the retirement match, which is like a big WrestleMania because for a house shows, a house show, all of the top names were on that card. Like everybody was working. Like Brett was working, Owen was working. Um, Undertaker, Yokozuna, um, Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon. Because you want to you send the crowd home happy at a house show. And, and, and I was like, I was working on top of them, on top of the bill. Me and Jacques, like, doing the Jacques retirement match, which Jacques went over and it was like 18,500 sold out. So it was great. And after that, I was supposed to be three years off Montreal, working on TV, doing, you know, the Lafitte thing. And I was not supposed, you know, supposed to be called retention, where people want to see you, but you don't give it to them. They want to see you, you don't give it to them. And eventually, after two or three years, where, you know, they want they want to have you, then they then said, we'll, we'll give it to them, you know. But I didn't even start yet, but I was asked, which I was happy because it was a chance to work Sean and things like that. It was a hell of a workshop. But it's just like we we scraped it up on a like he came up with a finish and I didn't want to do what he wanted to do so it was like a big big thing you know like Sean like threw a fit on me and said like you know like twenty other guys just put me over in the Royal Rumble and you're you're arguing with me over something just like he just threw a big fit on me and I think he was right to do it. Then I said to Sean, don't worry, we'll do it anyways. You know, that kind of changed my mind over the finish and things like that. But for uh, maybe for 15 minutes, you know, it was a big thing over it. But I went along and I did what I was asked to do. And and then for eight months, I never heard of anything. And I'm doing undefeated things, undefeated streak and things like that. And then out of the blue, eventually, uh, Diesel walks up to me at a TV taping and said, well, something like November 15, uh, it's going to be me and you, main event for the title at the Montreal Forum, Big Boot Jackknife, brother. One boot <laughs> in the middle. Because I and I didn't, get, I, I, I didn't know why I was told that by him. This was not an agent. I was not the night of the show. It was just out of the blue, and I felt like, okay, you know, there's some heat somehow, you know, somewhere. And I don't know, was it jealousy because, you know, I had been undefeated for eight months. I was having success. Don't – is it because I had, like, had a little scrape with, with Sean ten months ago? I thought that was water under the bridge to me, you know, like – Yeah. Anyways. So it did happen, and I, I really bite on it, you know. Like 
I was just, you know, young too, and uh, and I, I just probably had a huge ego as as much as they they had a huge ego back then, and uh, I guess it didn't didn't rub well, me I in the right it. way. Yeah, I, I can get pretty, it too because it's you know you were on it, like you said, eight months undefeated streak, so. You know, at the same yeah. time, I feel like I could understand arguing a bit, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you did well, the professional well, that, thing. Well, so. that was 10 months ago, so then when that happened to me, it was like, it was, okay, they're really looking for some trouble here, so I'm going to give them trouble, you know. That's the way I took it, you know. Yeah. So when it did happen, when the Montreal happened, Montreal show happened, and then Tony Guerrero came to me. Well, you know, we want that much time. Big blue jackknife, one, two, three. My head started spinning, and I went, no way. <laughs> I cannot happen like that. Not because I've been told that, you know, like two months ago at a TV taping, TV taping out of the blue by Big D himself, and now it's going to happen the way he said it was going to happen. Like, I just... It was nothing against Vince. You know, I, I loved him. You know, I, he was great to me. Like he took the time. He was always there for me. It was like so good to me. And I hate like being the guy that looked like not the company guy who ruined the things and everything, who made everybody look bad. But I just told him if it's gonna happen like this. Uh, no, I didn't tell Vince. I just told him, Diesel, that's that's the finish. I'll just find another guy to do it with you because I'm going home. That's it. And everybody went crazy. <laughs> and the worst part about it is, I mean, not just because of the Sean altercation ten months ago or whatever, the little, the beef he had, you know, the 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 pity party he had with you, but it's the fact that it was Montreal and it's like, okay, you guys go over everywhere else. Why can't you put me over here in Montreal? Yeah. And also, it was it was the fact that uh, uh, it was supposed to be done. Uh, it was supposed to put the belt, the world title, on me after the Jacques retirement match. It was supposed to be the stadium, eighty thousand people, because it was a hockey strike, the baseball strike, and the crowd was hot after the eighteen thousand five hundred sold out and turning people on the uh, the doors because it was sold out. Uh, it was easily something to build for the, a bigger venue after that. And Vince had agreed with Jock on the show that they would work together on it. And it was supposed to be me against Bob Backlund, with Jock being my manager, helping me to get the title from Backlund just for a couple of days, just to draw that huge house at the, at the stadium. And um, after that, Jock went uh, out of his way, rented, you know, like uh, had a price for the rental of the stadium, worked deals with newspapers, radio stations for publicity and things like that, and got an understanding with Vince that that's what we were supposed to do. Um, Vince called him back and said, listen, Jock, I know the stadium. I can't do it anymore. I just lost Randy Savage. I just signed with WCW, and I don't think we need or we have what we need to have to make it there. It's not going to work. I'm not going there. And Jock said, well, Vince, if I'm not going with you, I'm, I'm going with Alk. 
But since it's what you might be going with all, but you can't go with Pierre Carlwellet. And then uh, Jacques is the why. It's because I own him, you know. And and that's a, that was all right to me. You know? That that was good to me because I was proud of that. I was listening on the on the other line at Jacques' house on the phone because sometimes you know when you have a big conversation like that, even Vince sometimes would have like witnesses like just to remind you, you know, things that you said, you know, or you're taking notes because you're forgetting things. It's, it's such an important conversation that most of the time I would be a witness to say, okay, Jacques, you shouldn't have said that or you should have said that, you should have said that instead of that or this was too heavy or, you know, just to kind of gauge a conversation if it was a good one or if it sounded good or and things like that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, when Vince said that, I like that because like I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, he cares about me and he, he, he thinks, you know, like probably, uh, you know, good things about me, like for his company. So to me, I was proud of that, and there was no way that I wanted to go to WCW or change camp and redo all my contacts that I've been working so hard over the years, you know, to build up a, a good relationship with Vince, to build up a good relationship with all the agents, to build up with all the boys, with everybody. So I didn't want to go and try to rebuild that with Eric Bischoff or with, you know, the other management and things like that because it, it takes years, you know, two, three years. Just, just to you know, implant yourself and to feel good at, at being at one place. So, uh, in my mind, there was no way I was going to do that. So, basically, uh, Jacques had quit and was mad about it, and I stayed uh, with the, the WWE, the WWF, and that's that's what happened. And, and, and that's why when this title match happened. I was booked, the way I was booked against Diesel, it was Montreal, Quebec City, and Toronto. It was three Canadian towns. And, like, uh, on top of having Diesel telling me that I was going to, you know, big boot jack knife, big boot jack knife, and one, two, three, and I didn't know if he was going to be the champ or not at the time. But um, to me, I thought it was going to be a good opportunity to to make it back to what didn't happen, you know, so to what was supposed to happen against Vacuum, but didn't happen. So, and in the meantime, I thought, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to be a short run, but it's going to be like a little something there. And so it was just a uh, bad timing, Diesel telling me that and me having like, something that was supposed to happen to me that didn't happen and in the meantime I'm thinking maybe that's gonna happen the second time but still didn't happen and on top of that having him deal telling me like, you know, two months before what's gonna happen. So you know, when I it was just uh it's just you know, I just slipped. I was just so mad about it. The way the way it came around, you know. So so if if um, if it would have been maybe presented another way, or maybe if I would have been more have made more wisdom, or <laughs> I don't know, not being so young and no, I don't know. It's just it, it's just I I'm just gonna put it on the fact that 
it happened the way it happened, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then when it was done, it was done, you know, and it, it just it just created a lot of problems for me after that. It was, it was really tough after that. So after that whole incident, obviously you went to WCW. Um, you got to reunite with your former tag partner, Jacques. Uh, with a different name as the Amazing French Canadians. Uh, now, and then you had another run a few years later in WCW where you you were there for a short stint, am I right? And that was kind of in that rough time in WCW, and you were awarded the hardcore belt by Lance Storm. Yeah, it started all good because I got along good with Vince Russo, and then... Uh, I met with Russo while I was staying in Tennessee at Sid Vicious' uh, house. Uh, and then he brought me in a WCW show with him. And I was working with Power Pro, which was like the NXT back then, or the OBW, if you, if you want, because the WWE at the time, like Kurt Angle was there, if I had to, uh, a bunch of guys, a bunch of talented guys, like, um, Eggmo, like the three minute warning guys, Rosie, Eggmo, um, a bunch of Samoans, and um, Steve Bradley, uh, ta- very, very talented guys that were there. And um, and uh, I was living at Sid's house while working with them because that was maybe 20 minutes away from the building, from, from wherever we were working. And um, and then he brought me to the WCW show, and then uh, a long talk with uh, Vince Russo that I knew from WWE, and Russo was the booker back then. And they called me back, and they, they asked me to be part of Team Canada with Lance Storm and uh, Alex Kipper, and uh, and Jacques was there also, but we weren't booked like on the same. Like I like Jacques didn't know it was going to be there, and I found out that Jacques was going to be there when I was watching the pay per view from Vancouver from home, and I was flying the next day to go to Kelowna for the TV tapings. But I was not at the pay per view, but I saw Jacques was interfering in, in Brett's match with the Canadian Rules thing. He had a book, and which I thought was a great angle, and so everything was starting pretty good until. I showed up at the TV. They're telling me they're giving me the hardcore title. And it, 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 it felt like they were going to run with me for a while until I crossed uh, Kevin Nash. And I said, hey, man, how are you? And then and I got the hook right after that. You know, I mean, and they took the belt off me not too long. And, and anyway, Jacques had left after... They asked him to do a job for Ernest Miller, which he refused, and he just left because he said, you know, there's nothing good here, you know, it's, it's going to be dropped out until there's nothing, no juice out of us. And so he just left. I stayed, but, you know, he was right on the skull. And uh, I think that they, that I think Diesel was part of the um, Booking comedy, but he didn't know. I don't know if it was miscommunication with Rousseau, or if it was just him over having enough pull to say I don't want him there. But anyways, it was just bad timing. So 
that's why it was a quick a quick run so prior prior to that run you were in WWF for a little bit and i just have one question about that because you did compete in the first round of the brawl for all tournament and i just wanted to know what the hell was the concept with that and was it supposed to be more real or like, like whose idea was that? Do you know? Because I know in the, in yeah. the last in the last uh, round, I think what was it? Bart Gunn made it all the way, and Butterbean knocked him the hell out. And so I don't know yeah. if that was planned the whole thing or what. Was real. No, the whole, oh, okay. the whole thing was real. The whole thing was real, and we were getting paid a lot of money for that. And that started over a discussion. Bruce Pritchard was. I think I might be wrong about where they were at when they had that conversation. When they had that conversations, but it was Bradshaw telling Bruce Richard that if it was a real fight between him or any of the boys, he can beat any of us. So, uh, okay. So that triggered. Sounds that like Bradshaw. <laughs> Yeah, that triggered something where they said, "Okay, why don't we have? Why don't we find out who's the toughest guy in the locker room?" And and that was basically that was Bradshaw's idea, but that was pretty much built around because everybody thought that Doctor Death would have win it. So that was pretty much built around Steve Williams. After that, winning the whole thing, they they thought it would go all the way to the end with the reputation, uh, in being in Japan, in being an All American in the wrestling, uh, being a former um, Oakland Raiders, you know, lineman who was really tough, and in like having so many fights and bars and dressing rooms or in the ring with guys. You know, breaking so many guys up that they thought this this guy would will win the whole thing, and then from there we'll we'll build. You know, after this tournament, we'll build we'll build Steve Woods. That's going to build Steve Woods really strong. So, I think <laughs> they put me on the first round against Steve Williams just basically because I was the one who refused. To do, to do the job with Kevin Nash, and you know, um, I wanted to fight Nash, but you know, it was like agents and boys and everybody was pushing us back in the dressing room. So, we, and when in Toronto, I walk into the dressing room, and then Nash says, "Okay, guys, we're all grown up now. You know, that's enough of this bullshit." Because you know, I had like Sid on my side, and the guns were like on my side on this deal and then they click you know they had like their guys so it was like the dressing room was like separated in the half during that big war there and um, and then eventually Nash said okay that's enough you know that's not going to go any further we're going to stop that now you know so so calm down and everything and then uh, we went on in Europe after that, and um, I was going over PJ Palaco, um, you know, just incredible. Uh, he was doing Aldo Montoya, and I was winning every night. And and every time we get back in the bus, 
because I'm in Europe, we're always traveling all the boys in the same bus. I could hear like Nash and and Hall and those guys and that motherfucker after he did, you know, he's still going over it. This fucking that's gonna change when we get back to the States. And they were fucking mad at me. Like, they hated me. Every night they hated me. Like it was like for three weeks I think we toured and we did England and Germany. And as soon as we got back to the States and there was that big meeting I think near Oklahoma City, I think. I don't know. It was like Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, or something like that. It was in Sean's book. And they tried, like, it was right before the, right after that meeting was the Attitude Era. And then um, they wanted to get rid of, like, some of the poor gimmicks, like the clowns, the garbage man, and things like that. And eventually, they, they they said my name, and Vince says, no, I'm I'm taking care of this guy. This this guy, I'm going to handle him. You know, that's not you to judge or to decide what's going to happen with him. I'm going to handle this case myself. So after that, I was asked to do jobs, like, every night. And then eventually... Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Uh, had an hernia and just decided to get a surgery and just get myself out of the program and just let the time go by and see what my options are going to be after my surgery. So that's that's all I got out of that. And then when when that thing happened with the Brawl for All thing, I just thought, like, to see if I had the balls to go all the way, you know, into a fight or if, if, if I was going to turn it down. Because a lot of guys were turning that offer down. Was $5,000 per fight, and then eventually you would work your way up to, like, the quarterfinals, like, if you ended up, like, in the top four, and the finalist was 25 grand, then 50 grand, then 100 grand. Damn. Yeah, so at the end of the whole deal, I think, like, Bart John, who won the whole thing, made, like, almost 200000 in three weeks. Wow. The whole thing. And well, he de- he de- he kind of deserved it for getting knocked out by Butterbean. I mean, he did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did but, but what I wanted to, what I want to say it's like by putting me with with Steve Williams from the first round on a week notice like I'm I'm at home like doing anything. I'm not like I'm off the roster almost. I'm getting paid, you know. They're waiting to see what they're going to do with me. Out of the blue Bruce Pritchard called me Man, Carl, we've got a great idea for you. Vince just 
he just came, just called me. He's got a great idea for you. Yeah, what is it, Bruce? Well, we've got this tournament. You know, it's going to be a sh- shoot fight. You know, you're going to fight for real. And it's five grand per match, and it's a hundred thousand to the winner, and fifty thousand to the semifinalist, and twenty-five dollars to quarterfinalist, and, and then um, that's it. There's sixteen guys, and you're one of them. Oh, that's a great angle, man. Great, great idea. So, who am I fighting first? Uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, next Monday. Wow. Okay. And that's for another. So, yeah. Yeah. So. No, no time to prepare, to or train. No, and then then I I went to see a guy who was doing like some MMA. Uh, didn't know nothing about takedowns or anything like that. Didn't know nothing about amateur wrestling really. Uh, and a matter of a matter of fact, like I didn't like when I was in the Maritimes, a guy called Paul Perry was always picking like doing like a single takedown, but he was just like grabbing the leg and putting the guy down. And I was wondering why why does he do that? Didn't realizing that it was like. Uh, a single leg takedown, you know. So um, to me, it was like really old school those takedowns. So, but it was five points for a takedown for that tournament for the brawl for all and for landing punches. So I did like pretty much. I think I did a good fight with Williams. Like I took him down uh, once or probably twice. I took him down twice and. Uh, Pretty good on, you know, I was behind on points, but it was just like, just kind of run out of gas towards the end of the third round. And and I could tell that uh, Steve Williams, too, was running out of gas because he was hitting me with his shots weren't, like, landing hard at all at the end. So, um, anyways, uh, lost that match, but made my five grand, and the, the story, the the very important story of this is just before that fight. First of all, I was supposed to fight him the, the Monday, the week after. So I bring a, a guy with me that's supposed to coach me because they have the generic coach. I wanted to have my own coach. So I bring my own coach with me. I pay for his flight. I pay the guy to be my coach, to be in my corner. Uh, they're coming to me. They're saying, okay, we'll, we'll change of plan. You're not fighting Steve this Monday. You're going to fight him next Monday. So, okay, so I didn't eat all day, you know, I'm all stressed out about this, you know, I want to do well and I want to really fucking knock him on his ass. I bring my own coach, but now it's changed, so I got to rebuild all my, you know, everything for the next week, which I I can't afford to bring, you know, to pay another two, three grand to bring my own coach on the road so the, and in case they still change the plan. So the next Monday, I don't bring him on the road, so I'm having my fight against Steve. Just before my fight against Steve, Hawk comes to me, Mike Extreme, he comes to me, man, call, man. This guy's a fucking beast. He's going to fucking kill you there out there. So I'm going to tell you what. Just, you know, throw a few, like, you know, throw a letter a few times, and when Steve tags you, just lay down and just pick up your five rim, you know? You're not going to get hurt. I look at Hawks, man, are you fucking crazy? you out of your mind? Just go back and tell Steve that I'm going to kick his fucking ass. That's it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to fuck his fucking five rim. Don't give a shit about that. I want to win this thing as bad as you want it. Just tell him that. So 
So I went there and, and so after that, after his run against me, he's going against Bart Gunn. Against Bart Gunn, he's up on the points, he's up on the takedown, he's up everywhere. It looks like he's going to win the whole tournament. There's 12 seconds left in the fight. And Bart comes the big left hook and break his jaw, broke his jaw, tore both of his uh, muscle on both legs and ruined basically his career after the left hook on the jaw uh, with 12 seconds to go. And Dr. Death was up everywhere. If you want to watch this, this fight again, it was a good fight. It was a very... Uh, it was a very like um, uh, it's like watching a boxing match, like watching a yeah, yeah. A it was match. real tight, you know. It was a tight fight, you know. It, it was competitive. It wasn't like one way. It wasn't one way. It was just until Williams ran out of gas at the last round, and Bart hooked him hard with the left hook, and it was a lefty, and he 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 knocked like pretty much he knocked Bradley out. Bradley was doing the bacon, you know. Then thing like a baiting in the middle of the ring. Williams did the same thing. Zaya was rolling out, you know. He went to the uh, the hospital. Uh, who else? Um, Papa Shango, the, um, yeah, the, the gimmick, the whole thing gimmick there. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he went to, like, dancing like a baking uh, in the middle of the ring. So he was like pretty much sending everyone out except uh Bob Holly who exchanged pretty hard had a tough match like a pretty fifty fifty match with Bart but lost on the points. That was the only guy that Bart didn't knock out was uh Bob Holly. Bob Holly came out with a good reputation out of that, came out as a tough guy because he went toe to toe with, with Bart. And then what what the management thought of Bart after that, they thought he could beat Mike Tyson. So they really thought that he was going to do great things in boxing. So they started believing that he was going to beat Mike Tyson. And I imagine they would draw a lot of money. So they brought Butterbean just to build Bart John. And uh, Bart got beat in 12 seconds. That's That's the story. And it went bad there, you know. Uh, and yeah. it went bad the whole... The whole tournament was like a lot of injuries. Sadio Vega got injured. Um, the guy from Pablo got injured. Charles got injured. Uh, Hawk got injured during that tournament. Uh, probably after the roster, like maybe 16 guys were in that tournament, and they took um, the beef, uh, Dan Severn. He was in that tournament, but they took him off because his fight was so boring. Because he was on the ground all the time and he was not doing any action. So, but he's a good fighter. Like he's a tough guy, you know. Like so, but he was just doing his style, you know. It's like, but he didn't want like he didn't want anything to stall too long. So they they took him out of there and uh, they put another guy. They put Tuco Scorpio and he did good. Tuco was good too. So um, a lot of guys came out good at that, and uh, there was a lot of surprise there, and it was a shoot. I mean, nothing was fixed. Everything was like really a shoot. So it was it was a uh, it was a good sellout at the uh, monitors for the boys every night. So uh, watching those sets. 
Yeah, I just had, I had to know about the brawl for all thing, man. I was I've always been curious, but I think Tommy has as well. It's just I just always wanted to know kind of the inside stories to it, and you definitely shed some light on that. So yeah. Um. So after after that run, um, and your WCW run in 2000, the quick one, you kind of go back to the Indies, uh, and then you make a short stop at TNA. Well, I guess not short because. You actually wrestled as the in the X division. X. So yeah. I thought I thought that was interesting because they were kind of branding the X division as a I guess like a small like a cruiserweight thing if you will or a smaller guys thing. And I remember watching the match and you come out and they the commentators are like talking about like oh he's got to be well over two oh five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the idea was to uh, to to put other guys not only. Smaller guys, but other guys into that division. And uh, the, the thing is that uh, they, just, they had just seen a match of me. Um, basically, right now, the I'd say the boss, the, the president of, of of Impact is Don, Don House. And Don House is a manager back then for them in Nashville. And I knew him from the WWF, and we went on an indie show in Montreal, and I gave him a tape of me against the three-way me against um, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. And this match is still, like, a lot of people are still watching it. And um, that was a very good match. So he ended up giving that match to Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff gave it to the booking company, whatever. So they decided to to bring me in, but the company was really young, and it was like I didn't want to move there. I wanted to stay in Montreal, and it was costing them a lot of money flying me there. While the other guys, most of the guys were, you know, from Detroit, uh, flying on cheap Southwest flight, Southwest airline flight, or or driving, and my flight grew expensive, and I felt like I didn't hit as good, not because I didn't get along with him, or but Dutch Mantle was like the booker, and I felt like he didn't know me at all as a person, or even though we like we kind of crossed that because he was managing the uh, the Eli brothers, the um, Harris brothers, the Twin brothers, he was managing them in WWE, but I never really got to be friends with it with uh, with Dutch and Dutch was also like uh, booking a lot in Puerto Rico when he got hired from TNA so he basically had his guys and his team and I, I felt like I never was really in their plans that much um, they, they, they brought me in because they had seen a hot match but I I felt like I was costing them uh too much money uh, for for the plans that they had for me, you know. Like the you know, I was, I was not gonna I was not gonna be used that much, and I was costing a lot of money. So that's that's the way I look at it. So it was like almost like a, probably a three months or something like that. No more than three months to run. It was you know like had to match with. Christopher Daniels with uh, Chris, uh, Sabin with um, 
the Battle Royal when I came in. I won the whole thing. Uh, it was eight guys. Um, and match Sanjit uh, and things like that. So uh, I had, like, good matches and things like that, but, like, I felt like I was not in good favors of the booking comedy. Like, I didn't know. I didn't have any allied there. I didn't have anybody that I really didn't know nobody. I, I knew Jeff Jarrett from WWE, and that was it. But other than that, I was pretty much by myself. So that's that's my that's my that's my experience with TNA. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so after TNA, or kind of during and after, you are in the Indies and whatnot, and. Me and Tommy actually talked about it on the phone earlier, but we noticed you had a match with Kevin Nash in '09, and you actually went over. You won with the armbar, and yeah. uh, did he was he cool with putting you over there, or was it? Did you guys still have some tension at all? Because well, you know it seems like you kind of well, always. Well, when he came in, he, he had told me that. A lot of his friends would tell him not to show up, not to come here, that he was going to be maybe, could be dangerous, or, you know, it could be a setup or things like that. But that's that's not, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, if, if I make some mistakes, you know, I'll be, I, I, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, I was not better than them, you know. You're man enough to admit it, yeah. Yeah, at one point, everything started to go so bad in my life. I mean, I hated, like, pretty much, like, everybody and uh, hated life. Hated. I was so miserable at one point that I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, you are the res- responsible for everything that's happening to you in your life. Don't blame the clique. Don't blame Sean. Don't blame Vince. Don't blame WCW, WWF, or whatever. You know, I mean, things are happening to you for a reason, and just just be man enough and just be responsible about it, and just take all the blame for everything, and and just just start over from you know clean slate. And I decided like I wouldn't you know be mad against. Sean or Nash or anybody for what happened in the past, and I was gonna forgive. I was gonna forgive, you know, myself, and I was gonna forgive them for whatever happened. That I was gonna, you know, be clear with myself. I wanted to have a clear conscience, and I wanted to have a feel free to, you know, to. the past, you know, not be reattached to old stories that was not going to lead anywhere and that could only get things worse. And yeah. uh, that's basically what I I came up with, like a plan, you know, and and when I when he showed up, I was like, I, I hugged him, you know, hey man, how are you? And, and everything was cool and he was cool about the whole thing and it was just I just made it like a screw job because the one that happened with Brett and Sean and just made sense to me, you know, to work that out. And 
that's that's basically how that it was. We went out together after that, and he taught me a lot about the business. I had a long conversation with him and uh, taught me a lot of things. And uh, it was a mem- memorable night for me. So uh, it was it was it was like almost you know. Uh, Getting getting even on everything. Not 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 getting even because I was going over or anything like that, but just having a good talk, telling me how you know he went to the top like in TNA, made himself like a top guy for Vince. You know how how he was doing it and what how, what was his approach to the business and how he was seeing everything and just giving me that depth on the business, you know, from from this, this point of view, uh, kind of helped me out a lot. So I was very appreciative of all the infos and all the inputs and all the hands that he gave me. So that was a very, uh, very important night for me. And uh, I saw, I met him, like, in Detroit about a month ago. And it was a big hug there, and to me, it's it's always real. And it felt to me like theirs are real too. Like I don't feel like he's he's been hypocrite or anything like that. I feel like he's he's been pretty much. I even I can tell just by because he does a lot of shoot interviews, and you know, I can feel like the bad blood's not there anymore. He doesn't talk about me like he used to talk about me all the time. I think one time he was like cutting a promo on WCW. I was almost thinking, I was almost thinking maybe they're gonna bring me back because Nash was talking about me. <laughs> so it was like, it was like for me, it was like, why is he talking about me? I'm not even on the roster. What's the point? So yeah, he's putting you over. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Everything's been cool, and with Sean, it's been the same thing since that. Sean, I. Brought back some ideas to WWE. That was WWE. That was 2008. And I brought a scenario to the Fed, and and John Arnaiz was in the show in England. I was working in England again. I gave it to Sean, and Sean told me, promised me it was going to end up events, and he did. And, and the office called me on for a meeting at the office on that scenario and things, and on my thoughts on that. So Sean had delivered. And then um, he, 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 he held to his promises. So I could see that this change was not bullshit, you know. Like, uh, he really did change when he when he did, like, when he was saying that he had changed his life, he really did. So um, he was always cool to me. He would always, like, shake my hands and talk to me. And he was, like, not, like, big-headed guys, you know, saying, oh, I don't know this guy or whatever. He's been always cool to me. So only good things to say about Diesel and Sean. And my beef wasn't with, with Razor that much. Me and Razor pretty much got along all the time. Or if there was some beef there, it was it was on a lower uh, scale than it was with Sean and Diesel. Um, my beef was mostly with Sean and, and Kevin. And Razor maybe because he was his friend, and then on on a lower end pack, uh, maybe down 
you know, lower a triple H a little bit and X Pac. But I never really felt anything. Like I'm I've, I've met X Pac on the road so many times. And he was always cool with me and PJ same thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help him out as much as I can every time I see him or I talk to him, I give him a phone call. Once in a while just trying to you know, I, I want him to, to succeed and to be happy in life and and, and to be cool with what he's doing right now. So I wish him all the best, and I wish everything's going to work out well for him. So I really, really, uh, I gave him, like, a few phone calls once in a while, and he felt, I think he always likes to, to hear from me. So that's the way it felt to me. So I've been pretty cool. Like, the last time I was, like, at a convention or something, I saw a razor, too, and, uh, and I went to his booth, and... Uh, and sometimes most of the guys they don't recognize me right away. Sometimes I pretend I'm, I'm being like a fan and I'm like hiding behind some fans. And so I'd like to buy this picture, sir. And then they recognize me and they start laughing. <laughs> That's <laughs> so great. This one, yeah. So kind of, kind of talking on present day stuff. There, you're back. Uh, PCO is here and he's better than ever. So, what are your, what are your thoughts on your current run and uh, how are you liking it out there being being back? It's pretty amazing so far. What's going on? It's like pretty unreal. Uh, I think, I think the, for me, it's my my best run ever. I mean, since it looks like you're in killer shape too, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the the key to you know when when I was younger, I, um, I was relying most on my my instinct on on what what I had, and I wasn't really working on anything. When I I got to where I was, I thought I was you know already there, and uh, other things got to me. Uh, took my concentration out, you know, like I got much. Which I got maybe more involved uh, with the girls, uh, chasing girls or picking up girls than picking up belts or, or picking up championships. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just uh, it just happens sometimes. You know, when uh, when someone hits you and just you know some traps you know that are wide open there and I wasn't in uh, I wasn't smart and you know, some guys you know I fell for, for a lot of them and uh, uh, I didn't add my share of you know being out too late and being with you know good looking girls and uh, being a uh, you know, the hot guy there that was wanted by, you know, girls and things like that. And uh, it was just like some, some bad moves there. And uh, just got out of discipline. And, uh, you, you know, when you want to make it in, in any sport, you got to stay on top. You got to be disciplined. You got to deal with adversity. But... You know, whatever you have a success or fear, failure, if you have a huge success, sometimes you don't go back to the gym because you're flying out of the adrenaline on 
what you just accomplished, and it's hard to get back in reality and go back in the gym the next morning. But no matter what now, no matter what happens to me, whatever it's great or it's good or it's not so good, I'm hitting the gym as soon as I can, and uh, I'm back back to the drawing board. And and you know, if I can get any sleep, I'm getting sleep. There's no drinking beers and no drinking alcohol. There's no taking pain pills or anything like that. It's straight edge, and it's, it's just all about the desire, all about the dream, and it's uh, it's being totally committed to this goal, committed to this passion, and being so passionate about it. And I want everything to transpire. I want my work to transpire. I want my promos to transpire. I want my message to transpire. I want my uh, hard work to transpire. I want all all those attributes. I want everything to transpire into my work, and that's that's the that's where I'm at right now, and that's that what it that's why I'm having the best run ever. I'm, I'm like, even though my run as the Quebecers might have been more to the you know like the what, what do I say that like uh, the TV would touch more people maybe the the, ma- the mainstream. Mainstream, yeah. The mainstream was a, but now I'm thinking the underground crowd knows about PCO uh, a lot, and um, it's my best one ever. I mean, it's my most fun ever. It's stressful at times, but uh, it's so, I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm feeling uh, like I'm, I'm I'm really accomplishing what I always wanted to accomplish. I'm I'm, I'm really feeling I got a, a great feeling about what I'm doing right now. I know it's uh, it's really really something that I've been uh, looking forward all all my career long. You know, to have that kind of uh, that kind of uh, a run that I'm having right now and. Uh, I mean, uh, it's great, you know, like being like uh, welcome as a huge baby face all over the United States. It's it's awesome. Like you know, people that have told me before, no, it's it's impossible. Like for a French Canadian uh, to be liked by Americans, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's imp- impossible. The word impossible. Uh, I like about it, you know, nothing is impossible, and I always believed that it was possible, and that was a huge fight that I had with creative at WWF, you know, I always thought that I could be a good baby face, and they always, you know, it's impossible, you know, you cannot, and I always thought with the right things, the right promos, the right gimmick, the right characters, that everything was going to be possible, and that's, that's what's happening right now. And, uh, and I'm not. I'm saying that in all humility, and just so blessed that it's finally happening to me. Because that's not something that I wanted to prove. That was something that I felt that could be achieved. And that's just. It's not about no one else, but just about myself. I just uh, had that feeling deep, deep down inside me that it could be done, and 
and having the welcome that I'm having, like Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, Austin, Texas, or in uh, Boston, or Mass, or, you know, Portland, Oregon, or Detroit, or wherever I've been lately, you know, uh, New York, is, especially New York, has been unreal. Chicago has been unreal. Uh, been so many times to New York and all the times, you know, the acclamation from the crowd, like, it's been like crazy, crazy, crazy. And, uh, Chattanooga real last week was off. So crazy. And, and, uh, American Rana for Beyond Wrestling was like off the charts. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The way when I walked through that curtain and the crowd be so hysterical when I came in. That that was something special. Very, very special. And I mean working with the top guys in the country right now, you know, the the Brian Cage, the Sue Lynch, the Chris Dickinson, the Joy Janella, the Matt Riddle, um oh, uh, I mean, you're right out there running with the top dogs. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, Jim Morrison, uh, not Jim, but uh, uh, John John Morrison, um, Johnny Walker, whatever. Yeah. So it's been, you know, like, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I mean, it's great. And and it's... It's good because when you have like a great guy in front of you that can do great things and you can do great things yourself too, then it, it makes the the mix of things that you can produce and create. It's crazy. So I've been uh, I've been very very happy with, with what's been going on right now and and with all the opportunities that's been given out to me lately. But like I said, I mean, there's not one day in my life that I didn't uh, dream about this moment, you know, about about this year, the year that I'm having right now, the match that I had with Ethan Page and the match that I had with um, Walter. It's one of the top guys too that I've worked a lot lately, and um, the Mania match and all that. I mean, those, all those matches. There's been like incredible matches. It's it's been insane. Uh, Joe Janela too. Like we we tore it up there. Joe Lynch and Chattanooga. 
been like insane, an insane worker to really tore it up there. I mean, it's it's been just, it just felt like, you know, I was, this was my generation to, to be in that business. It just felt to me that the way that wrestling is now, it's always what I like envision about the business. It's always the way I start business going and uh like everything that they're doing at PWG, I mean it's, it's, I, I really like that and uh it's it's not just about, you know, working a hole, working a shoulder or working an arm or working a body part and getting back to it. It's it's about telling a story, but it's about telling a story, a different story. And, you know, to me, uh, there's so many stories that I've been told during a boxing match or during a UFC match that, you know, uh, if you go, try, if I'm trying to get to your leg and I, I got your leg hurt, it doesn't mean I'm going to finish you up with a figure four. I can't finish you up with, you know, uh, you know, something that I can grab upstairs because you're, you're going to try to defend that leg. Eventually, you're going to try to defend that leg because I've been on your leg for a little while and you're hurt there. So you're going to try to protect downstairs and I can't finish you up upstairs. That makes a hell of a story, too. It doesn't have to be. Always, you don't have to tell always the same story where, okay, I've been working on his back the whole time. I'm going to finish him with a backbreaker. You know, it's that's old school. You know, we have to evolve with the evolution. I mean, you know, now we have the cell phone. We have, you know, we have computers everywhere. And it doesn't seem always like it's for the good because, you know, it feels like sometimes the people that are close together, they're closer to the people that are further and they're uh, further than the people that are close to them because you have four guys in a restaurant, they don't talk to each other, they're, they're texting other people farther away. But it's still part of the evolution and there's nothing we can do about it. And whether, you know, the old schooler don't like it or not, you know, People, the business is evolving, it's changing, and we got to make the best out of it. And I feel, to me, I really love the way, I really like the way the business is going right now and the way that the stories have been told on the indie scenes and and everywhere in the world and the way that the, the business is changing. I like that. I like everything about it. And that's why when I'm putting a match together, I'm not trying to tell, you know, less is more, you know. I'm trying to figure out, yeah, more is more, but how can we put it, like, in the best way to make it more is more and to make sense about it. But I'm one of those guys, one of those guys that thinks that, of course, more is more and less is not more if you use your brain properly. Can't say it better than that, man. We, I just want to thank you, thank you again for your time, man. It, it's been incredible yeah, having you. Yeah, been amazing. I mean, yes, man. I mean, you. I mean, we literally did nothing. You did all the work, so you, <laughs> you put us over. No, no, no. You, you ask the questions. I mean, I'm, I'm so into it. Like I'm right on it right now, and uh, I'm living it like. Uh, Three to four days a week, you know, on the road, airplanes, uh, hotels, airports, uh, car rentings and arenas, and so that's my life, you know. It's 
You know, I've quit everything that I had just to concentrate everything on my goal and uh, I'm putting all the efforts into it and whatever the cost is, I'm there. I'm a warrior. <laughs> well, you're doing a hell of a job at it, man. We're glad to see you back in the business and, and Boy, having a great time thanks, doing thanks, so. Thanks, thanks to both of you. Thanks to all the listeners. And uh, thanks a lot for having me on your show, man. It's been, it's been a so fun to share my story and I'm just hoping that it inspires, you know, others and then that it can uh, get back to me in one way or another and that I, like I've always been inspired by other stories and it's probably, hopefully my story can inspire others and it's the way that the, the chain goes and then we all link to one to each other and hopefully, you know, it's it's good for everybody. So thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, thanks. For thank you, me. man. Thank hey, you. Hey, and lot. for every, everybody listening, make sure you go follow PCO on Twitter at PCO Quebecer. Uh, also buy the PCO Destro T-shirt at BlackCraftWrestling.com. By the way, I gotta say we're we're killing it right now. You're killing it on the sales. <laughs> they called me tonight. They're, they 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 can't believe how many shirts we're selling. We got a solid base. We're number one uh, on the shirt sales. So keep killing it. I'm really happy about it. Thanks for plugging it, man. Hey, Appreciate no problem, man. That's what we're here for. We want we want to see you continue to succeed because this run, like we've been saying, is. It's it's fucking awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I can't yeah, it's crazy. I mean, hopefully it's gonna translate to a movie down the road eventually. I oh, hope so. Dude. I mean, there are so many negative things Killer. about this business that if something positive can come out of it, can come out of it, that'd be so great. You know, not having you know, uh, you know, you know, talking about suicide, death, this and that, and bad things. You know. Why, you know, not talking about something good and positive? And thank you for doing it. Uh, that makes my day. Yeah, man. We Thanks again. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully we can talk to you again down the road. Anytime. All right, man. I Take care. Ha- enjoy the rest of your night. All right. Thank you. We appreciate you. Bye-bye. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I know you're having a great time listening, but we'll be back in just a sec. I'm just here to tell you that you need to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Heels and Quads. Why, you ask? Because it's our merch site. We have tons of sweet merch on there in all different shapes and sizes, and you need to purchase some because your closet is lacking that Heels and Quads Wrestling Podcast t-shirt that you know you've always wanted. So go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Hills and Quads and pick up any of our shirt designs. Make sure for all of your Funko Pop collection needs, you go to HeroesHideoutNY.com. From WWE to the Bullet Club, you can use code QUADS at checkout and save 10% off your order. Also, don't forget, they specialize in meet and greets. From the legends of yesterday, the stars of today, and the future of pro wrestling. Coming up Raven, August 11th. The Bullet Club, August 26th. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Jeff Jarrett and Demolition on September 15th. Psycho Sid and Terry Runnels on November 11th. They will also be featured vendors at StarCast. Featuring Young Bucks Pops for those Matt and Nick signatures you are dying to get. Also, make sure to stop in store in Rensselaer, New York 
at 250 Broadway for not just meet and greets, but all of your action figure needs, featuring lines from the past and present. Heroes Hideout is your new access to entertainment. That's HeroesHideoutNY.com. I need you to do one big favor for me and for yourself, and that's go to CollarNoboBrand.com and use coupon code Heels and Quads and all caps at checkout to save 10% on your order. Oh my, that's a lot of percentage, huh? Speaking of a lot of percentage, you can go to Zubas.com, that's right, C-U-B-A-C, get your zebra pants, baby, and use coupon code Heels and Quads in all caps at checkout to save 15% on your order. That's even more percentage, huh? Alright, and PCO, with all of the dirt and more. What a banger. I mean, like, just, I don't, I don't even know what to say, man. Like, There's probably, nothing to say. He said it all. Probably one of the, the best interviews I've ever, I mean, we've ever done, and one of the best interviews I've ever even heard. Yeah. yeah like, it, it was fantastic. It, it, it was like, you know, I mean, we were on the phone, obviously, but it was like, literally, we were sitting there in the room with him. Like we, I felt like a little kid sitting Indian style, like listening to him talk. I was sitting Indian style for the majority of it. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. I loved it. He, what, what a, what a great. I mean, I know you know his gimmick is quote unquote he's not human, but what a great human being. Yeah. Very yeah. very positive. You know he, you know he had his time, and you know like he said, you know, with with the with the the booze and the pain pills and the ladies, but now it's all straight edge and he's just, he's doing it the right way and it's awesome. And he's back at it and he's better than ever. So I hope everybody enjoyed the interview because we sure as hell did. And on that note, we'll talk to you guys next week. I forgot to put the poll up yesterday, so I will get that up now. But uh, on that note, uh, tell your friends. And tell your enemies. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.
From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.